Hi everyone, my name is James Banfield and I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast series called Spirituality for Today. During this podcast series, I'll be explaining why the spiritual voice is needed in society now more than ever with the many challenges we face both individually and collectively. I want to frame spirituality in a new way which is practical, inclusive, non-dogmatic, joyous and socially relevant. I want to show you how my spiritual path has enriched my life beyond my wildest dreams and how I share these learnings with others. The first five episodes in the series will be spent explaining what I mean by spirituality and after that I'll be interviewing other people from all walks of life about how spirituality informs their life. In this first phase, I myself will be the interviewee and I'll be interviewed by my colleague and friend, Laura Fanley. Hello, so this is the second podcast in our series on modern spirituality. This is me, James Bamfield, and I have Laura here. Hi there. And we're going to go into a dialogue. In the previous podcast, I talked about my own spiritual history. So we had something concrete and personal to work from. And now through Laura's questions, um, we're going to flesh out what I see as the six main principles of modern spirituality, as I see it. Right. Well, it was such a beautiful story. Thank you for that intimate peek into your life. 40 years of spiritual practice. Wow. I know, heavier. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I just, I've just gotten started. That's how it feels for me. You talk about the six principles of sp modern spirituality. Can you just briefly go through them before we dive into that? Yeah. Okay. The first one is in no particular order. The first one is the sacred, the basic sacredness of life. Okay. This word sacred, important English word. Like the word holy, but a little different. You'll, you'll get used to it. So what do you what do you mean by that the sacredness of life? Um, well, what I'm saying there is that there is something sacred, holy, in the essential makeup of the universe, mm. at the core of reality. Right. I'm saying it's not just a mental construct mm -hmm. or a social construct from human beings. Okay. I'm saying it to a certain extent, and I'll explain that more later, yeah. it's a given. So spirituality is a given? Yeah, <laughs> spirituality is a given. That's the assumption right. I'm going on. Okay, yeah. great. And then the second principle. The second principle is evolution and just how important this is. Okay, when, I, when you say evolution, I think of animals and of fishes and mammals. Well, we are animals. Yes. Let us not forget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's important because what I'm saying is, because um, I'm going to be talking about spiritual growth a lot. Okay. So it's easy to think of that as just me or you going on a spiritual path and learning and developing and becoming more enlightened or more mature or more self-developed or more whole or however what you want to say yeah. it. But what I'm saying is that that is a very limited view of spirituality. Okay. We're really, your spiritual growth, my spiritual growth is just part of one huge evolutionary wave that is reality. Okay. So in other words, 
the way we've evolved from bacteria to Bach, which is, you know, quite a, quite a move, is that is not separate from our spiritual development. Okay. It's just a different aspect of evolution. I guess we'll talk about more about yeah. that later and then you'll illustrate. Yeah. And then the third principle of modern spirituality. The third one is embodiment. Mm. So you probably heard that in my, my spiritual history, how important it is that spirituality is not seen as a creed or just a code of beliefs. It is a felt, embodied experience. Right. Yeah, not so, just something in our heads. Exactly. Belief. It's also we exactly. also feel it. Exactly. I heard you talk a lot about felt sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then the fourth one. The fourth one is sangha, which mm -hmm. is the um, Sanskrit word for um, spiritual community. Right. And I would use it slightly broader than just spiritual community. But it's the importance of the collective, mm. of a sense of community in our spiritual development. That it's not, it's not best done as an individual activity. Okay. Curious to know more about that later. Yes. And then the fifth? Is social engagement. Mm. That sounds kind of modern. Well, <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Well, modern and, and not, you know, all nearly all religions have had a, a strong yeah, that's true. Um, regard uh, for social engagement. But yeah. I think it looks a bit, bit different these days. Okay. I think the reason I'm putting that in is that a lot of the people who are involved in modern sort of contemporary spirituality in what you might loosely call the, the New Age movement are not always very socially engaged. Okay. That it, it, it tends to be, you know, as long as I do my yoga and my yeah. ayahuasca yeah. sessions and my yeah. my groups. Focused on the self yes, development. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then one of my favorites, the sixth one. So the sixth one is pleasure. Wow. You use these in the same sentence, spirituality and Absolutely. pleasure. Absolutely. That's, that's my point. Okay. But people often try and discourage me from using the word pleasure. Oh. Because they say, oh, no, no, that will bring the wrong associations. Mm. I say it's absolutely the right word. Okay. So I want pleasure to be part of the modern spiritual narrative. It brings all kinds of shadow sights up. So let's, we'll talk about that later. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> I hope sure. you can enlighten me. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. So you've got these six principles of modern spirituality. Yeah. Can you again explain why do you feel that we we need a, a new look on spirituality anyway? Because there are so so many movements. So why do you feel like you need to bring something new together? Well, I think because we're sort of in between worlds at the moment. We're in between narratives. So. The, the, the narratives of the great, great religions are losing their appeal for many people, right. certainly in developed countries. Mm. And so that sort of single scripture type mm. approach mm -hmm. is, does not work very well in the way modern society is evolving. Because um, it simply doesn't give enough freedom. And on the other hand, what we're getting is this huge sort of eclectic spiritual melting pot of everything from Tantra to shamanism to mm. Taoism to, and everything's kind of thrown in together. Uh, a bit like a sort of spiritual supermarket. Do you like that? And well, yes and no. Yes and no. I think it, 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 the great benefit is that all these things are available to everybody. Mm -hmm. I think the problem with it is that there's still no real guiding story. Right. So, okay, we don't want the old dogma, but we still need some way of some navigation system that can bring us together and so we can all be on the same page. Even if we're a different color or a different pen or a different font <laughs> right. that at least we're on the same page yeah. 
There so needs to be more spiritual focus in the world, I would say. So if you walk in a spiritual supermarket, you say, I'd like to create some more recipes. To yeah, some, something like that. Um, to, bring, to bring fragments or elements together into yeah. something. Yes, but not meaningful. just for me. But again, for mm. the for for the collective. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. So that's the reason why you started this. You said you said I started this podcast because I feel this is also an act of social activism. Yeah. It's time to to speak up about yeah. this. Yeah. There. Are, you know. There are a lot of voices out there, um, mm. especially these days. I mean, mm. through the news, the social mm. media. I mean, it's a cacophony of voices. Right. And they're often extremely reactive. Um, and I feel that a, a deeper, more reflective, um, more compassionate, more authentic, more humble is needed. More calming, actually. Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can be the one. <laughs> well, I'm sure yeah. I'm, I'm part of many. But. Yeah. So we've got the six principles. We'll dive into that shortly. Yeah. And you also talk about the spiritual technology. Mm -hmm. And you also uh, have woven that through your story, which is about waking up, showing up and growing up. That's right. Yeah. Can you introduce that briefly to us again? Well, very briefly, waking up is the more transcendental side. That's if you like the... Eastern Enlightenment. Growing up is the more personal side, the psychological side. That's mm -hmm. more the, the Western Enlightenment. And the showing up is how do we then express that spirituality uh, in an active way in the world yeah. that does not ignore the big hairy social problems in the world right like okay. inequality yeah. social injustice yeah in it and so mm. on. Yeah. so making it really of use yes happy to dive into the principles so you gave us this beautiful overview of 40 years of spiritual mm -hmm. practice and discoveries and so shall we start with the sacredness okay. of life okay yeah sure so where do you feel in your in this biography you discovered the importance of sacredness that it was yeah why why do we need why do you need to mention it why is it not well, I think in the normal sort of sleepy matrix that is mm -hmm. normal life, we, we don't feel the sacredness of life. Mm. You know, when we're, if, you, if, you, if you're in the train, as I've just been now, and you look around at people, you know, in their own little world and stuff, I don't see people really sort of open to the experience around them. And I don't see a real sort of wow to life. <laughs> so I think and the way the wow has come for me the wonder the awe is through the peak experiences and often the peak experiences come out of very ordinary experiences mm. so that was just looking at a photo of Osho on a right. book or looking at a garden in Japan but, exactly so but through through going really deeply into that very ordinary experience, something extraordinary happens, where suddenly the sort of veil of separation disappears, and suddenly one does literally sort of wake up, and suddenly everything is shining. Everything is shining, and you just feel this pulse, this, this erotic pulse in the universe, or whatever language you want to use. This feeling of oneness, is it also? Yeah, sort of like? often. Well, that certainly yeah. belongs to the, the waking up yeah. thing. Yeah, oneness, but also wonder. Oh, right. You know, yeah. it's not just, it's not just a feeling of relaxation or something. No. 
you know, the, the, the shepherds that are, when I yeah. talk, the yeah. analogy I gave in my autobiography was, you know, the shepherds kneeling down. I mean, they were trembling in awe. It's literally being turned on. Yes, exactly. Like, it's being turned on, but yeah. by life itself. Right. By by the actual feeling of being alive in this yeah. universe. I think I, I hear friends of mine talk about when their first firstborn is there. Yes, of like, course. Or being in this uh, somewhere in nature that's so overwhelming, or like, whoa, this can't be right. True. Yeah, I mean, everybody yeah. has moments. Right. It really amused me. The other day I was reading how the famous um, band of atheists, that's people like Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, mm. each one of them admitted that they'd had transcendent experiences. Right. One through music, one yeah. through something yeah. else, through music meditation, and so on, and which they can't really explain, they can't really fit into their atheist theory. Right. You know, it's... It is. It's like with the, the baby. You, you talk about birth, but it also happens with death. If you're really present with someone who is dying, yeah. it also brings you into the wonder and awe mm. of life. And James, why do you feel that this is important enough to make it into a principle? Um, because oh, I, feel, I feel sad that, you know, okay, I get it. Traditional religion had so many problems with it, despite its beautiful spiritual core, every mm -hmm. single one. That that had to go because it was full of it was full of superstition. It was full of um, oppression, mm -hmm. you know, power <laughs> imbalance, all, all, all sorts of things. So I get it. That's that doesn't have all the answers anymore. But on the other hand, what we tend to see now is real in the secularization is, is I mean, kind of a really pretty boring materialism. Yeah, wonderless. Where everything is available and right. nothing is special. Yeah, and everything should be proven scientifically. Right, yeah. exactly. Everything has to have a rational explanation. Right. And for me, that is a pretty dull world. Mm -hmm. So is it really, it's just a bunch of atoms that somehow mysteriously got together and are interacting and right. the result was life so you want to add some sparkles to our life well sparkle but also depth mm. because for me that's staying on on the yeah. surface right spirituality is suggesting right. that yeah. there is a deeper mm. significance right. to life mm. beautiful are there any other moments in your biography that you want to illustrate using this principle or are we well i think clear? it was it was evident you know right. in the yeah um i think I, what i would say what was different in sri lanka at the beginning of this year mm. when i was sitting for 10 days in meditation yeah i didn't it, i don't i didn't have any real peak experiences it was it was a constant mm. feeling what i called it at the time was fairy dust right I felt like I felt fairy dust all the time. Mm. And it really didn't go away for a long time. And I couldn't attribute it to any particular cause. Mm. So much more subtle. Yeah, more subtle. Yeah. More subtle and, and, and more sort of sustainable. Right. If you like. Yeah. Do you feel that if you tell me about the people on the train who just like, that don't look very happy, I can imagine that being part of a spiritual practice or a sangha or whatever we call it that really embraces this principle of sacredness also just makes you a lot happier in life i think so yes it's not just um, about what i do what i create and then when i die you only have my 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 books and my clothes <laughs> or perhaps what i my you know my mythology but there's something bigger that I'm not responsible for, mm -hmm. that I'm part of. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the thing about the train, by the way, it could just as easily be me sitting in the train in mm. a trance. We all do it. Yeah, you know. right, right. Yeah, no, uh, no judgment. Um, I think the, 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 the point of 
about the Sangha is the need on the spiritual path to have sufficient number of people around you who are on the same quest or a similar quest. Yeah. When I say it's a given mm -hmm. that it is intrinsic, right. this numinous quality, this sacred, divine, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it, that is true, but it's not the whole truth. So the movement of postmodernity, which has challenged all, all the narratives mm. like that, where postmodernity has tended to say, oh, there's nothing intrinsic at all. It's all the meaning that we yeah, There's no place one, on one it. truth. Exactly. It's all subjective. E ex exactly. And culturally subjective. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a point, but and so there, there is some truth in what they're saying. So this thing with the sacredness is it has that core and it has that potential. That is a given. But we also, because I believe in a sort of participative universe, a, a co-creative universe also. So we also, we can't just say, ah, it's sacred. Mm. So I can just relax into it. That that's part of it, but we also have to, by believing in that sacredness and acting as if it is sacred, even when we don't always feel that fairy dust, we are helping that evolution of the sacred. Mm -hmm. So the sacred needs our participation, our active participation. Right. That's the other yeah. part. Of so we can't just snack it. We need to. No, we, we can't. <laughs> we can't just come as consumers. No. Oh, there's all this lovely sacredness. Oh, yum, yum, yeah. yum. Yeah. No, we 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 add to it. We, we yeah. the sacredness is evolving. I think that refers to what you said. I don't know if it's part of the other principles or this one that you can't just. How do I say that? That you can't just take it for granted how how many qualities you have you're not just a regular person you are also sacred so you better act like it exactly exactly yeah. and it's a bit of a insult right. to the sacredness yeah. if we don't take our own sacredness seriously So evolution, you just mentioned yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. Why is that important? I think again is that evolution is obviously such an intrinsic part of life and the universe that evolution is already happening. And our spiritual growth, just like any kinds of growth, I'm not saying spiritual development is just part of the evolution, biological development. You know, cosmological evolution is happening. E evolution is, is happening in everything. That's how the universe moves, is, is through evolution. This is the sort of divine creativity, is evolution. So we don't have to create the desire to grow. It's already there. It's innate. It's, it's innate. We, again, we have to co-create. We, we have to add something to it. Yeah. But it's already there. So every single person that I've ever worked with and every group of people that I've worked with, and that's thousands and thousands now over the years, I can see that there is simply that desire to grow. It's that wanting to become. And... As, as a coach, as a facilitator, teacher, whatever you want to call it, or you, what you're trying to do is to add fuel to that flame of that impulse, that yeah. impulse right. which exists individually and collectively. So it's not just Laura who's, who's wanting to evolve. The whole Dutch society mm. is wanting to evolve. Right. And, and it's hard work because evolution, you know, is tough because because by definition it is change mm. and the old has to be let go of before yeah. the new can right. happen yeah and you you earlier said that 
these principles are important because they often also are answers to shadow sides from traditional right. religion. Right. Is, is this also an answer to one of those shadows? Yes. Um, why? So why did I put in evolution? Firstly, all the major religions originated before the theory of evolution, biological evolution, was discovered by Darwin. So you can tell that that is absent from their worldview in some ways. So I think it's any kind of modern spirituality has to include this, mm. this concept of, of, of an update. evolution. Yeah, an update, exactly. Yeah. It's the, yes. <laughs> and the other thing is, so many of the religions tended to look back to a golden age, the Garden of Eden, the, the, the Jesus, the, the, the time of Muhammad, whatever it may be, it tends to be retrospective in terms of looking for the perfect example. And what evolution is, is teaching us is that that is a suspicious way to look at things. It was all better before. Exactly. We have to go back to... Exactly. And, and it's a little bit similar, the, the whole concept, for example, of original sin. You know, what, we, yeah. what Adam and Eve did and their, their bad deeds and so on. I think it's really important. Also, I believe in the strength of hope. That there's something we feel we're being drawn towards in the future. Mm. Rather than us trying to recapture some glory days of the past. Yeah. That doesn't mean to say we don't honor the past. I think that's vital, yeah. actually. But we're also evolving. It's a, it's a drive towards the future. Yeah. So a good metaphor is that it's not that life is scripted. I don't believe your future is written in the stars, for example. I don't believe the human race or the planet's future is written in the stars. There's no script, but there is an evolutionary direction. There's a thrust, an impulse towards mm -hmm. growth, evolution, more complex, mm -hmm. deeper levels of consciousness. I mean, I could, I could talk a lot about that. Mm -hmm. But I feel that's not always present in the right. traditional religious narratives. And what is, you know, for, for me as a kind of a singular believer or spiritual person, what is the benefit of knowing that I'm part of an evolutionary flow? Does it make things easier for me? Or? Absolutely. I think the main thing is that you're, firstly, you're not alone. And secondly, you, you've got kind of divine help mm. <laughs> you know you're there's something mm. it's like my my favorite um, native american one of my favorite native american quotations you know sometimes we walk around in misery and all the while a strong wind is blowing us across the sky mm. you know it's it, it, we're also being held in something yeah we're not separate. Right. It's a little bit similar as the first benefit of the sacredness. That yes, also... yeah. And that sacredness has a movement. Right. Ah, so that's, that's how they... That's right. Exactly. Implement. So if you like, yeah. there's the God of being and there's the God of becoming. Right. The becoming is the evolution. The being is just the, the sort of ground rock, yeah. non-dual yeah. reality. Well, they're a spectacular duo. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is. It's a very spectacular yeah. duo. Mm, right. So let's go to the third one. Yeah. Embodiment. I heard you say a lot about body feeling, visceral, so right. why is this important to you? I think to, like I said, to stop it just becoming a set of beliefs, um, an ideology, and um, it's connected also to the theme later that I'll bring of pleasure, because there is a, a real pleasure 
to, mm. to, to that embodied spirituality. Mm. And I think um, another reason about the embodiment is that it gives uh, an anchor to your, to your spiritual life. So the big question, when you hear people talking about spirituality um, in any situation, does it feel embodied? Does it feel like that they embody, live, and are grounded in what they talk about? That they walk the talk. Yeah, walk the, but literally walk the talk. Right. It's, it's not yeah. just a metaphor. No. It's you, your legs yeah. and the way you walk, yeah. the way you sit. Yeah. Somehow you need to be able to see that embodiment. And it prevents hypocrisy. It prevents... Um, yeah, this whole sort of mental abstract view of spirituality. So when you say that, I, I, I immediately think of priests who talk about divinity, but then they right. uh, have their ways with boys, for instance. Is well, that a good example? Exactly. Yes, not exactly. That, those are extreme examples. Yeah. But I think it's even you, you see it in the... I mean, how many times have I heard people sort of spout new age cliches and we're all one and right, we're yeah. connected to mother earth and all this yeah. yes it, of, of course we are yeah you know we know that but is it your felt experience yeah or are, are you just talking about it right or are yeah. you expressing mm. that felt reality yeah so it's about experiencing and expressing yes both. Yeah. Well, yeah. it doesn't have to be expressed, but people will feel it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be expressed verbally right. at all. And and remember that in the in the Christian tradition, I mean, there are embodied mystical experiences. You know, if you hear some of the Christian mystics, you know, Hildebrand. Yeah. Von Binger. Von Binger. I mean, yeah. my God, it's like she's having sex with God. Yeah. yeah. Full stop. Yeah. It's not just some belief. No. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah, why do you feel that this is a, a, a very essential part of modern spirituality? Um, I think to avoid the dangers of a purely transcendental approach. Okay, so just the head and the. Well, the head and heaven. Heaven, yeah. So, you, you know, something like Christianity yeah. is very much an ascendant movement. Right. I mean, literally, you, yeah. you look up to the sky, God's right. somewhere up there, and you, you go up to heaven. Yeah. No one's ever said, when you die, you go down to heaven. You see, it's all ascendant. And, of course, the ascendant is important. That's the learning to fly and, and so on. But the descendant down into the body and the earth and the ground is yeah. just as important. So what, what does that how does that benefit us being on the ground? I think the first thing that comes to me when you say that is sustainability. And again, it, it anchors it in personal experience. Mm. So personal experience. So you're not... Modern spirituality has to be anchored in personal experience. You can't, it can't just be the experience of others that you read about in a mm. book or a mm. Bible or whatever. It, it, it has to be actually in you. And the other thing is that, and I'll, I'll come back to this with the, with the pleasure, is that, you know, like it or not, we, you know, we are all pleasure seekers. And we need to feel that spiritual pleasure. And that happens in, in the body. Otherwise, it will be just very hard work, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. I think in a way what, what embodiment brings me is that it also actually makes it more practical or sometimes spirituality sounds very esoterical and you know with the tantric practices I have or even meditation or active meditation from Osho I feel that okay this is about this body here on this earth and I have I have a purpose together with these people but it starts with if I'm not in my body then I'm of less meaning somehow or I'm just floating away right less weight yes 
And, and I think it's connected to our connection to nature. Right, as well, yeah. You know, our body is, is yeah. closer to nature than our yeah. mind. Exactly. And so... Yeah. More attuned as well. Yes. Really. So yeah. the whole... Um, you know, everybody talks about our separation from nature in mm. modern industrialized, right. technologized, yeah. internetized mm. world. And there's some truth in it. But our body brings us back to nature, back to the earth that yeah. we tread on. Yeah, important sort of wisdom. The wisdom and yeah. and yeah. I think ultimately social responsibility. You know, I don't think without this embodiment, we can't, I mean, we can have all our ideas about how to save the planet from ecological disaster, but if we don't have this felt embodied connection to yeah. nature, it's it's just window dressing. Mm, thank you. So let's go to the, the fourth principle, which is the principle of the Sangha, the community. Why is that so important in your view on modern spirituality and this new narrative right well a couple of reasons i mean the first thing is that the power of the matrix the trance let's say the 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 trance that prevents us feeling the sacredness of of life it's it's strong if we're really totally on our own we're to be honest we're not strong enough to keep awake the, the power of the trance is too great. So mm. what I found with myself and all the people that I've worked with, it doesn't matter how good work or meditation you do mm. in the meditation room or the group room. If you don't in your normal life have some kind of yeah. collective support, it won't, you won't make, you won't make it. You'll, you'll, you'll fall back into the trance. I remember when I arrived in Japan to live there and I didn't know, well, I knew one person, one of my best friends. And, but I realized after a while, apart from him, I simply didn't have people around me who supported my spiritual development. Yeah. So that's the reason I started giving groups there and workshops mm. and meditation. Create your own sign. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I have to admit, it had a strongly selfish thing and it worked. Yeah. Right. It, it, it worked. So that's the first reason I think we, we need, it's purely a practical one. So you needed to, to wake up or to stay woken up? Yes, and stay growing up. Growing up as well, yeah. You need those people around you and people who can basically support and challenge you. Yeah, you so growing trust. up, you mean uh, kind of mirroring you and giving you feedback, right? Yeah, for your psychological yeah. development. Right. So I want someone I, I want to be surrounded by people enough of the time yeah. who will say to me, James, you're on an ego trip, right. you know, or I don't trust you in this, you know. I, I need that kind of challenge, but I right. also need the people around me who understand mm. spiritual growth sufficiently also to be able to hold me in it and support me in it and yeah. encourage me in it. So this sounds like very different from spirituality, um, where there's one guru, for instance. Right. So here's the thing with that. I mean, it's a it's a big topic, gurus. Mm. You know, I've had two of them, mm. so I feel I have quite some. Experience. Well, you even had erotic relationships, or that's right, love affairs love with affairs. both for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, it's it's not a proper relationship with a guru no. if it's not a love affair. Well, I, do you want to talk about that first or will you get to that when you talk about pleasure? Because I think people have questions about this when you say this. <laughs> yeah, sure, I know. I, I know it sounds provocative. Well, it yeah. is provocative. Um, but if you look in all the spiritual traditions, yeah. there is a kind of love affair needed with a teacher or a guru. Because without mm. that love, without that open heart, it's not just open mind. I don't think the spiritual transformation can happen. 
so easily, even amongst, you know, with philosophers, you know, with Plato and his students or, or Socrates or... Mm. or Jesus uh, and his disciples. Certainly Jesus. <laughs> um, even some, some more modern philosopher, a sort of Heidegger or, or, or yeah. someone like that. It's a kind of love, erotic relationship between teacher and student. Mm. So I do believe we need teachers and teachings. But on the other hand, the whole structure of, of gurudom is problematic, without a doubt, because that love relationship can be manipulated from both sides, obviously particular, particularly from the one with the power. Yeah. So it is problematic. I'm not saying... So where I am now with that is that... I'm not, I personally do not want to be a guru, even if I could. And I also don't want to be a disciple. Mm. I mean, I've done that. I've experienced that. I don't think that is the future structure mm. for spiritual life. Right. Okay. Because of the shadow side to it. Because of the shadow side. But on the other hand, I'm not saying... I think it's a big mistake, and that also happens in, in the New Age world, to say... Oh, you're just your own teacher. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the other extreme. How arrogant is that? Mm. Really? And how stupid not to use the wisdom of others. Right. But one of the expressions that I love, I think it came from Thich Nhat Hanh, who I don't, you've probably come across. Mindfulness you know. teacher. Yeah. And amazing teacher um, from, what is it, Myanmar, Burma? I can't, mm. I can't remember. And he says the next Buddha is the Sangha. So that he says enlightenment, that's Buddha, is not so much going to appear in one individual, but more in collectives. It is also the co-creation that you talked about. Right. And this is a very, I don't think we've worked out how to do it yet, mm. by the way. Mm. For me, that that's what I'm in the middle of. Right. So in a way, I mean, I certainly don't want to be a guru, but I can also see that sometimes I need to put on my teacher hat because that's help because yeah. I've been at it for 40 years. I mean, how silly not to share and teach that. It, but then it's a kind of method that you use intentionally, kind of, kind of a modality. Well, it, yeah, it's a role that I take yeah. on because I can see it's helpful. But after I finish my little bit of teaching, I take the hat off. You can step off your pedestal. Yes, yeah. I take yeah. off my hat. Yeah. Because I don't want that. I don't want to have the identity of a teacher, or certainly not of a guru. Because I also want to be free. I don't like it. I've seen it when people look up to me as a big teacher. And it's very flattering. It's very flattering. <laughs> For your ego. Yeah, and there's a sort of feel good to it because there's some love in there. But yeah. ultimately, it's alienating. And when you step into the role of the teacher, do you still have enough of a love affair going on to to use that that erotic sense? Yes, I think so. Okay. I think I think that love element's always in the learning process somewhere. Mm. I mean, who, who? How many people haven't fallen in love with their with their ski instructor or their right. tennis teacher? Yeah, you know, yeah, there, yeah. there's something about teaching and learning that is erotic. Yeah, you could also even. I just talked with a friend of mine about it. It's even a form of penetration, <laughs> like the knowledge or the energy or the and the opening up to it. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I get that. Yeah. But of course, we have yeah. to be incredibly careful. Right. Yeah. Because that has been abused so much. Yeah. Yeah. The and, power difference. But even in okay. traditional therapy, they, you know, in Freudian terms, you're constantly working with people's transferences and you get... If you're good, you will get a lot of positive transference as a therapist. Just like a, a, a parent does from their children, yeah. they get a lot of positive transference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to use that. In Dutch, it's overdracht, right? Yeah, overdracht. Exactly. Yeah. And because it's, it's a positive energy, which you yeah. can really use. But of course, you've got to make sure yeah. that it's not manipulated to achieve other goals right and you exactly and yeah. you need to find ways which is why i take off my teacher hat 
and let people see them in my human, me and my humanness, my With vulnerability and my many flaws, <laughs> yeah. so that that projection gets um, taken away. Yeah. So what I don't want as a situation is that someone I'm working with feels really small and I feel really big because in the end that's going to get in the way for both of us so you need ways to redress to that again. balance so yeah. there needs to be I'm not saying there's never any hierarchy I think there's a hierarchy of competence mm -hmm. I've just been working on this for a long time mm -hmm. and there are other people there are other spiritual teachers facilitators whatever mm -hmm. you want to call them who I still kind of look look up to wow well, gladly, because you also yeah. want to learn from them, right? Exactly. Because you want to grow. So it's exactly. also part of your evolution exactly. as well. Exactly. Right, yeah. So I think it's about not identifying with your role of being a teacher 100%. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Not taking it too seriously. Right. And um, so when we talk about the Sangha, you said you can't do it alone, mm -hmm. so you need others. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the shadow sides of the one teacher or the guru yeah. or the priest. Yeah. So modern spirituality also um, gives an answer to that. I think so. No. Well, it needs no. to give an answer yeah. to that. Right. It needs to get away from whether it's guru and disciple yeah. or priest and laity. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We need, because that hierarchy is so open to abuse, we yeah. have to deal with it much more consciously and, and, and create if you like, some kind of democratization yeah. of enlightenment. I think it's also an acknowledgement of humanity in there. Yes. We can't just not pretend it's not there. Or how many knots do I say there? Yeah. It's we as, as human beings, we are tending to use power. So we have to be very alert. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And then the third thing that came to mind is what Mark Gaffney calls the unique self symphony. Right. So that we actually are more than just just singular people with the same qualities. We're not clones. Right. We need each other because we lift each other up and complement right, each other. Right, right. right. Yeah, it's a great uh, analogy. Can you talk and about that? And of course, that? Mark uh, Gaffney has been a big inspiration for me, how I understand modern spirituality. So that's also about the democratization of enlightenment, which is a phrase mm. he, he also uses what can enable us all to feel equal is us all finding our unique gift because then we it's ridiculous to say the trombone is better than the trumpet you know they just make different sounds and both sounds are beautiful so it's vital in this sort of when we look at the Sangha to have this sense that everybody has a unique mm. quality a unique color and a unique sing song to sing in the world yeah and to get together yes it's a lot more it, interesting to listen to exactly than just solos yeah. yeah exactly yeah beautiful Okay, so can you tell us a little bit more about the fifth principle of social engagement? Yeah. So I think what will bring us ultimately the most sense of fulfillment is by expressing our spirituality in a constructive way in society. So it simply doesn't stop with our own sort of feeling of oneness or feeling of psychological maturity. So there's some way in which all this interior work that we've done needs to find its exterior expression for the, for the good of the world, but also for our own sense of fulfillment. And purpose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And because there's, you know, there's a lot of ug ugliness in the world, so it's easy to sort of go into a sort of protective bubble. But I think we need to be able to address that ugliness first mm. in ourselves. That's part of the growing up and then also in society, in the world. 
And I'll be the first to admit, I have not yet found exactly my right way of doing that. This is a start. So I feel that's the, the, the edge of the, of the wave that we're all surfing. How, what does mm. it look like? And what about the role that you play in your company? Doesn't it all also feel like a part of being social? Yes, it is, definitely, and, and helping people. Because what do you do exactly? Well, I, I work as a, a facilitator, a coach. I work almost entirely with groups. I sometimes do one-to-one -one work. Mm. Helping groups, teams from organizations, helping people to wake, wake up and grow up. Mm. So I'm more of a practitioner than a, than a theorist. So it's about their spiritual and personal mm. development. Yes. But of course, I also belong to a particular socioeconomic group, particular color and so on. So, you know, I'm very much one of the, the privileged few in many, many ways. Right. So I feel that I need to address that privilege and use that privilege again, not just as some act of service to the world, or that's definitely part of it, but also for my own fulfillment and i think that's that's vital for any kind of modern spirituality right also there's a certain urgency yeah you know, well the, certainly yeah the, the you know the fact is that the planet is falling apart a bit yeah and this idea of this podcast was born during the corona crisis right exactly yeah yeah exactly so then you felt like okay this is my yeah, yeah my yeah, way of doing that's that that's right but that, for years yeah. i've been thinking what is my way <laughs> mm. Um, and yeah. there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Well, we'll explore this later. Yes. And then, last but not least, something which I feel is essential to your view of modern spirituality and this is pleasure please us with pleasure please yeah, please us well that's <laughs> the root of the word of pleasure is mm. that which pleases pleasure so pleasure is very important to me in fact i've i've written a book called the discipline of pleasure so why is pleasure important as one of my principles for modern spirituality? I think one of the main reasons is that traditional religions have had problems with pleasure. Not just the Judeo-Christian, the monotheistic mm. religions like um, Christianity and Islam. They certainly have a difficult a problem with pleasure. The, sinful, right? Yeah, sinful, sins of the flesh. Yeah. And that somehow it's, a, it's an obstacle to spiritual development. Right. Um, but even the Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, also have a problematic relationship mm. to wow. pleasure. While it's still seen as a sort of not the real goal, pleasure. It's that they, they tend to focus on truth, which of course mm. sounds much more noble. Even in Tantra? Tantra less so. Tantra and certain parts of Taoism are the yeah. ones I think that are most wisest about pleasure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tantra of course, because it includes the erotic. Right. All kinds of erotic. Yeah, pleasure, yeah. And I just think in the modern day world, if you leave out pleasure in your spiritual view, you, haven't got, a, you haven't got a hope. No. Really. Yeah, just like no. you just haven't got a hope. No. And, um, and I have a different view of pleasure, something mm. I talk a lot to my friend Mark Gaffney, who's also done a lot of work mm. on pleasure, is that pleasure is is again part of the fabric of the universe. Eros, mm. the erotic, is pleasurable. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll have to say it a hundred times, erotic doesn't include sexual, but it's not restricted to the sexual. So what is it more than just sexuality? 
the erotic is that feeling of the intense aliveness of being a human being, of mm -hmm. being alive, of interacting with this feast of beauty. Mm. So and children can be very erotic. They are. Yeah, like alive and eager. But they are, but that's yeah. why we love them. Yeah, yeah. That's why we love them. When they, you know, when they experience pleasure, it's just oozing out of them. And when they feel pain. Yeah. But um, it's like in my book, it's the, it's, it's the example I use of my son, who I, I, I dedicated the book to him because mm -hmm. for me, he was the prince of pleasure. From the moment he woke up, I mean, he's still like that, to the moment he went to bed, all he did was look for pleasure. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. Whether that's a hug mm. or a sweetie yeah. or so on. That's what I call the pleasure impulse. The pleasure principle was right. working through him the yeah. whole time. And so when he had his favorite ice cream, it wasn't just... Oh yeah, that's a nice yeah. ice cream. I like ice cream. So yeah. It's like ah, oh. he was embodying it. He was embodying yeah. it. It was erotic. Yeah. Even Freud said that up to a certain age, children are kind of I can't remember the word he used, but sort of pansexual. It's it's protosexual. Yeah. So it's nothing to do with genitals. But with orgasms or no, nothing to do with ejection. that. But it's yeah. it it's erotic in the sense that it has this sensual interface with life. And sensuality, senses, is about the senses, zintuigen. Right. Which is a lot less, uh, uh, how do you say that? Well, sexual. It's just the quality of feeling and yeah, experiencing. Exactly. Of yeah. which sexual is just the one. Right, yeah. And the, what you, what, but if you really go for pleasure, if you're really a mm. hedonist, a spiritual hedonist. Yes. You see, you will never just be content with nice sensations no. and eating chocolate. No. I mean, that's that's great, but oh my God, there are so much deeper pleasures than that. Mm. But it takes discipline. That's why I call it the discipline of pleasure. And it takes discernment. Mm. You have to be able to distinguish between mm. different kinds of pleasure and what gives you sort of pseudo pleasure and what gives you real pleasure. What's it, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that, you know, you can keep going for the pred predictable sensory pleasures, like your favorite wine or, or, your, or your sweeties or... Or watching porn. Or watching porn, exactly. But you can also get stuck in that. Mm -hmm. You can get addicted. It also feels kind of empty. Right, well, it doesn't have enough depth. Right. But what about the pleasure you get when you meet a stranger and you do something nice mm. and you help an old lady with her shopping or you ask someone who looks like they're a stranger if they need any help mm. and you get a smile back mm. oh my god mm. what about that pleasure yeah or what about the pleasure of having a mission Hmm. of fighting for a noble cause, living for a noble cause. Right. So it's also about something being very rewarding. Yes. So the deeper pleasures, the hmm. deeper the pleasure, the greater the discipline and skill is needed to hmm. learn it. Right. But people often aren't prepared to do the hard work right. to yeah. learn how to get yeah. that pleasure. Or even the pleasure of oneness. Hmm. Okay, it might come once or twice randomly, you know, when you first fall in love with someone or you... Your first MDMA trip. Yeah, or you, your um, one particular concert of music yeah. or a particular bit of art. But that's still basically dependent on that trigger from right. outside. Like but if you want to get any consistent feeling of oneness, mm -hmm. you've got to work. You know, you've got to do your time on the meditation cushion. I mm. mean, there are all through prayer or, or mm. chanting or, or whatever. I'm set, I'm not, there are many ways of doing it, right. getting yeah. there. But that's work. It's discipline. So it's part of a spiritual practice, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And one of the ways, and this is very controversial, but one of the ways you can even measure your spiritual progress 
is through the depth of pleasure. How, do, how does that work? You see, traditionally, it's measured through how close you are to the truth. But it always sounds so, in a way, so pompous to me that. Mm. <laughs> um, it, 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 of course, it's true in a way. <laughs> how, about, what do you, how do you know what the truth is anyway? Well, one of the ways that you know deeper truths is that it creates, when you realize it, when you embody it, feel it, yeah. it creates a new feeling which will include definitely some aspects of pleasure. Right. You might not yeah. use it. When you read about the mystics, a mystical spiritual experience, they don't use the word nice. They use the word ecstasy, joy, rapture. Mm. These are pleasure words, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah. Those aren't truth words. No, it's not head words, it's body yeah. words. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, so any last thoughts about why we need, in your view, on spirituality? You think pleasure is essential? Yeah, I do. I do. Partly because, I, like I said, I think it's part of the sacredness of life. Mm -hmm. And that also, when it's used well with discipline, yeah. it acts as a source of navigation, of, of guiding you where you are. If you're not, I mean... To be honest, yeah. it's not rocket science. If you're in a relationship yeah. and for a long time you haven't been enjoying it, you might be in the wrong relationship. Okay, yeah. Of course, even in a long committed relationship, there'll be many times when you're not yeah. enjoying it. But if it's a chronic lack of enjoyment or in yeah. your job and you're not getting sufficient pleasure or the pain yeah. outweighs the pleasure, then, you know, that's a sign you need to change something. that you need yeah. to navigate a different course through life. Right. Okay. So it's not just about enjoying life, it's also about taking the right course. So that you can enjoy life more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we are allowed to enjoy. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't want pleasure to be taken no. out of the no. spiritual equation. I think you, perhaps you just said it already in this talk that because there's so, if we walk in the supermarket, there's so much to choose. Mm -hmm. You better choose something that keeps you alive. Mm -hmm. So it's easier because you need to do a lot of practice. So you better choose something that you feel motivated to do because it gives enough positive feedback. It's pleasurable enough. To yeah, pleasurable do. enough, yeah. but you can use that word. So, you mm -hmm. know, I, at a certain point, I had to choose between yoga and qigong as my yeah. sort of physical meditation. Yeah. and. However hard I try, mm. yoga does not give me a lot of pleasure. Mm. Uh, I still may end up using yeah. it as a practice, but Qigong, right from the start, it just it resonated with me. And do you have a preference? So we, we will talk about this later, but already now, do you, are you in your teaching someone who says you better do yoga or you better do Qigong? Or is that irrelevant? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say find a practice. Find the one that you resonate with. Yeah, that, that gives, gives you, pleasure. you sufficient yeah. pleasure. Right. It's never only pleasurable. No, no. <laughs> but sufficient sense of enjoyment. Yeah, to keep on going. Yeah, no, and yeah. I, I wouldn't know. No, right. I, would, I just wouldn't no. know. In case people are just listening and thinking, okay, now he's going to talk about how to do this. We'll yeah. do this in a later episode. Right. But, um, yeah, no, so but it can that, be any practice. Any practice, yeah, yeah but it, it might be singing. It right. might be chanting. Okay. But, yeah. um, but it does require, that's very open, but whatever it is, it requires intentionality yeah. and commitment. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that next time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If we're uh, wrapping this up. So we talked about the six principles of modern spirituality, sacredness, evolution, embodiment, sangha, social engagement and pleasure. We talked about the, the importance of them and the, the shadow sides of previous kind of um, spiritual practices or spiritual, how would you call them? Narratives. Narratives. Uh, so this is the reason why you feel that you need to, to offer a new narrative. And we talked loosely already about the spiritual technology, about waking up, showing up and growing up. Yep. We'll get to that in the next episodes. Is there anything you feel you, when you look back at your own biography, something you, you want to refer to or you feel this is clear enough for now, the kickoff. 
No, I don't think so. Again, the other thing, maybe it's connected to mm. pleasure, is don't take spirituality too seriously. Ah, right. Sincerely, yes. Yeah. But also with traditional religion, it turns becomes mm. such a serious thing. Yeah. Oh, treat it lightly. Hmm. Okay, so it was nice to listen to you, but don't listen to you. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> don't take, for God's sake, don't take me too okay, seriously. Okay, now and play outside. Get some pleasure. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to know more about me and my work, you can go to my website, jamesbanfield.org. You can go to the website of my company where I'm a partner, that's quinks.org. And there you'll also find various training, seminars, workshops, and so on. And if you want to get started straight away, there's a free meditation just click on the link in the show notes at the bottom of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to help, then just give a rating, a high rating, because that helps spread the podcast series. Thanks and hope to see you for the next episode.